Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. Did you know that Motormouth is on Patreon? Yes, you can support your favourite podcast if you want. And in return, we've got some great goodies and bonus content to give you. Just search Motormouth Official on Patreon where there are three levels of membership. Become a Motormouth Companion for just £5 per month with our eternal thanks, early access to all podcast episodes ad-free. If you fancy going for £7.50 per month and becoming a Motormouth associate, that means you can ask your own questions to our guests as well as enjoy ad-free early access to every single podcast. And if you're an absolute Motormouth legend and want to do £10 per month, you will get an official Motormouth baseball cap, a personal thank you on the actual show from us, and everything else, including ad-free early access and the opportunity to ask a question. Just search Motormouth Official on Patreon or follow the links in the detail of this podcast. Your support means everything to us and keeps us going, so thank you. Before we kick off with today's guest, we must tell you about our Season 5 sponsors and the great team over at Motus One. Sponsors are vital for our survival and ensure we can continue to bring you interviews with the biggest names in racing. So if you or your company require event transportation, Dana and his team at Motus One has you covered anywhere in the world. From a single chauffeur-driven sedan to a fleet of luxury SUVs, Teslas or motor coaches, find your transportation solution with Motus One. With offices worldwide, including the Middle East, Europe and Africa, they can support your transportation needs regardless of your location. Motus One is committed to world-class service at the best possible rates to ensure your event goes without a hitch. Contact them at motusone.com. We'll put all their social links in the podcast description. And a massive thanks to Dana, their CEO and founder, for having faith in our show and joining us for season five. Now, on with today's episode. On the show this week, we went on location to the amazing Silverstone experience to chat with our special guest. We've also filmed the podcast over on our app and YouTube page too, so if you fancy seeing our faces, head over there now. But a big thank you to the Silverstone experience for partnering with us for this show. The experience is packed full of interactive shows, hands-on displays and unique cars and racing memorabilia with tours, gift shop, canteen and amazing views of the iconic Silverstone racetrack. Currently, at the time of recording, the UK has just entered a second lockdown and sadly, the Silverstone experience is currently closed until the 3rd of December 2020. However, tickets for future dates and gift tickets can still be purchased. Just head to silverstone-experience.co.uk for more details and the latest COVID measures in place. We got in there just before lockdown to have a socially distant chat to three-time F1 winner Le Mans champion and all-round good Johnny Herbert, who can currently be seen week in, week out as a pundit on the Sky Sports F1 team and writing books with his good pal, Damon Hill. Thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen. If you like it, please do leave us a review. It really helps us to get bigger and enjoy. Welcome to the Motormouth podcast. My name is Tim Silby. Now, before we introduce today's guest, I for once do not need to head through the airwaves to Essex and regale my usual Essex-based facts to link up with my lofty, bearded cohort because he's currently sat socially distanced from me at the incredible Silverstone Experience Museum. Harry Benjamin, how the devil are you? I'm really well. It's really weird to see you in person because since everything's happened, we've done all of our podcasts through the wonderful medium of Zoom. Yeah. So it is a bit weird to see you in person. I feel like I've kind of forgotten how to do this, but I think we're there. I think we're okay. And you, I'm feeling good. And you are taller than I remember. 
You seem to have grown, uh, expanded upon your six foot five frame and now look about seven foot six. But um, Thank you. Well, it's just, a, it's just nice to get out of the house, really. It is nice to get out of the house. And what a place to come to. Exactly. Thank you so much to the Silverstone uh, Experience Museum. What, what a place it is here. And although, unfortunately, in the UK, we are on the eve of a lockdown, starting, uh, we're, we're doing this on a, on a Wednesday. It starts tonight, which, of course, means this place is sadly going to close. But you can still buy tickets in advance and also buy gift tickets that can be redeemed. So make sure you head to the Silverstone Experience Museum website to check all that stuff out as well. Absolutely. Now, enough of our ramblings. Shall I introduce today's special guest? Oh, I think so. Now, today is indeed a special day because as we said, we're doing a podcast for the first time what feels like an age, but we're doing it face to face with another actual human being in the actual flesh rather than a zoom call not only that we're doing it on video so make sure to check this out on our socials it'll be available on our youtube channel so go and take a look when it's out and as we've said we're at the incredible silverstone experience museum in front of some very special racing cars to chat with a man widely recognized as one of the best and most cheery racing drivers in the history of british motorsport a former formula one racer who started his career in 1974 before progressing through the ranks before a certain eddie jordan signed him up for the 1987 season when he won the British F3 championship before Formula One came calling. There, he raced against the greats, Schumacher, Hill, Mansell. He's an F1 race winner, Le Mans winner, and is now to be found on our screens with the brilliant crew at Sky Sports F1. It is our absolute pleasure within the walls of this fantastic museum to welcome Johnny Herbert to the Motormouth podcast. Oh, the crowd. Oh, how's that for an yes. intro? Hey, pretty impressive, I have I should to point say. out they're not really here. No, we, they're are, not. we are social distancing, I <laughs> yeah. promise. There is no yeah, crowd here. Really good. Really, really glad I'm here, guys. Really, really Pleasure good. Pleasure to have you, Lovely Johnny. place, this, isn't it? Stunning. It yeah. is lovely. Brilliant. What a backdrop as well. We've got Mark Webber's uh, 2010 Red Bull behind yeah. us as well. A DC's, I think it's 2000 McLaren, yeah. And uh, yeah. also Nigel Mansell's Nigel car Mansell's, as well. Yes. The, the legendary camel liveried one as well, Williams. Um, Johnny, great to have you here. Obviously, Weird 2020 so far, really. Yeah. And, and how have you, you know, navigated it all, really? Because it's great to see that, obviously, F1 back up and running earlier this year. Yeah. Um, well, for us, actually, nothing changes because the whole weekend is as, as normal as it can be. Uh, bar the last race in, uh, in MLR, obviously, that was a two-day two day event. Um, but overall, the travelling is, is a little bit less because, obviously, we're not sort of travelling to further afield like we normally do China for example uh, of course the latter part of the season will be in Bahrain and, yeah. and uh, Abu Dhabi but you know it's it's been great it's been brilliant that uh, I think Chase Carey Liberty and F1 in general have been able to you know get this show on the road so it's it's been a I think a very good season so far a bit predictable maybe who's gonna win the championship but hey he's done another sterling uh, job, uh, Lewis yeah. Hamilton. So, but overall, yeah, it's been great to be back on the road. And I think it's brilliant that for for people, for fans at home as well, to have F1 back up and running is yeah. is was was needed. I think as well. Um, what we like to do, Johnny, on these podcasts is we obviously talk about you and our and our guests' careers, and your career is incredibly well documented. But what I want to know is how did it all start for mm. you? And you know, what what were the roots for you? You're from my part of the woods yep. in Essex, Brentwood. Yes. So you know. There's not that much racing around there, historically. No, so, no. so where was the impetus to go, you know, I want to be a racing driver? Uh, Cornwall. Oh. Yes, <laughs> Cornwall. Holidays in two week, two week holidays in Cornwall we used to have as a family. And weirdly enough, so I must have been about seven, about seven, I think, years old when I, when I went down there one year. And my, my uncle 
run the local go-kart track on an old uh, disused uh, runway. And I was taken there probably about twice, three times in those, two, in those uh, two weeks we were down there. And I basically just got in it when it opened and I got out of it when, uh, when the day had come to an end. So it, it, that was that, those early days of where suddenly this, this sport I didn't really know anything about came into my life. I think the only thing I'd ever seen in motorsport, and I think it's classed as motorsport, I'm not sure, was Brand, Brands Hatch on the indie circuit. But it's actually, they had a little sort of circular circuit around yeah. sort of clearways basically around that area and it was um caravan banger racing <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing we, bring, we bring that back. Go and see. <laughs> it was i have to say very entertaining yeah, very yeah. entertaining so so it was brands that's where sort of that type of motorsport came into my life but i didn't know anything about the uh, the single seaters and touring cars and sports cars and everything else that was going on it, but it was karting in yeah in cornwall where it all basically kicked off then i seemed to be good at it yeah. Then we, my father bought us uh, bought a cart, which was a family thing. We used to go down to Tilbury at the cart track that used to be there. Um, and then I'd sort of thrash around with it. It was an old JLO-powered engine. It was a twin-engine one, but we didn't right. have enough pieces for the second engine on the <laughs> left-hand side. The fuel tank was up here behind us. Uh, the wheels were welded onto the rear axle and the same on the on the front. And then now and again, I'd sort of get out and my dad would get in and then take my sister around for a a couple of rides at the same time and then it sort of grew when my father was was uh, was 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 spoken to by one of the racing drivers at the time the karting racing drivers who said he's good your boy i said you should get him into racing he said well i can't i can't get him into racing he's only 10 don't worry about that there's always ways around that which was forging the license when i did my novice novice racing and that was that was basically how it all all kicked off and, oh. and what was the scene like back then now we know that the junior scene is incredibly competitive yeah. right from karting where you could easily drop a hundred grand a year on your kid doing some karting and then obviously you go into the the junior categories of f3 and so on and it gets expensive and there's loads of different series. What was it like when you were growing up? There was obviously karting, as you say, but what, what sort of series could you get involved with at that stage? Well, again, karting was much more simple because there was junior national. That was it. There wasn't any other classes. It was just, you know, when you were 12 years old, you could jump in and go racing. And as I said, I was 10 and a half when I started. I got banned when I was, I think, about uh, 11 and a half, because you're supposed to have been 12. Oh, naughty. S and naughty, yes. Yeah. So, I, so I got banned, then I went back into Junior National, and it was when 100 Britain, Junior, junior Britain came into, into play with someone like Alec McNish. Yep, That's okay. where he started. Um, but I didn't want to do that. They had very small, narrow tyres. They weren't as fast as the Junior Nationals, which is what I drove before. So we didn't do anything with the, with the Junior Britain, went straight back into Junior National. And then you had... After juniors, there was 100 international. So then that was the next sort of big step. And then there was sort of 100 nationals, which was the sort of middle of the road. You know, everybody could sort of go racing as an adult in that. And then you did have the gearbox carts yeah. as well. Um, and then cars, uh, Formula Ford was really the first step into, into racing cars. Formula First came very similar time uh, as well. I think when I got into it, maybe it was in the second season, I started cars. But it was a bit more simplistic. And as time has, time has gone on, you know, there were so many yeah. classes in, in karting, too many from, from, for, for me. And then, in, and then there was a point where there was the same thing in early single-seaters. You know, there was, there was just too, too much choice. But I'm glad to see there's a little, it's gone a little bit back to how yeah. it was. And there is a proper yeah. route. There's a ladder now. Through, they, a proper ladder. It a yeah, the ladder yeah. sort of just sort of splintered off, didn't yeah. it, in all directions. So, so it's better. But, but Formula Ford 
for, for you know, single-seater racing was the obvious thing to do. Everybody had done it for so many years. And, of course, a lot of people, as you know, made it to Formula One. Yeah. Formula Four was that sort of kick-off point. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then fast-forward a little bit. You, you stumbled across a certain Eddie Jordan, who all our, our viewers and listeners will be very familiar with. Yeah. How did that relationship come about, and what was it that, that Eddie did for you? Well, he was very lucky uh, to meet me. Um, <laughs> I carried him forward because he'd never won any championship so at that point. So his success is down to you, essentially. That, I tell him every time I see him, <laughs> yeah. yes. If I hadn't won that British F3 championship and got into the winning that first Formula 3000 race in Jerez and then carrying that team forward as we did until I had my, my accident, you would have never been in Formula <laughs> 1. You nothing. owe me. Yeah. Yes, you owe me. But no, Eddie, it was, it was interesting. I did a couple of races... Uh, in, in Formula 3 in 1986. And the first race I did in Donington, I finished fourth. And then I think I finished third at the Cellnet Super Prix they had at Brands Hatch. Um, so suddenly I went from a Formula, Formula Ford uh, 2000 car, the Quest, which was a bit uncompetitive, unfortunately, at that time. I was always basically at the back of the grid to suddenly getting into F3 and bang, I made a sort of, you know, a massive impact. And then at the end of that year, we had the Grosvenor, Grosvenor Awards, which is like the Autosport Awards you have nowadays. And we were basically sort of on two separate tables, but with, sort of our, with our backs to each other. And he sort of leant back and said, Johnny, uh, I can't do an Irish one, but Johnny, you may, have you signed for Glen Waters? Because I'd done a couple of races with Glen Waters, which was where Damon and Martin Donnelly uh, raced with in the, in the following season, 80, uh, 87. And uh, I said, no, no one's spoken to me at all. I'm, I'm surprised, but no one has. And he said, oh, well, how about, you know, do you want to come racing with me? And literally, within a space of probably 20 minutes of that conversation started, on the back of the napkin, we signed, we signed a deal to get together for the 87 Formula 3 Championship. And it just worked on both sides. Eddie was so good at supplying me what I needed when I got onto the racetrack itself. And of course, then I supplied him that sort of talent that actually then was able to utilize it and get that championship won. So it was, a, it was just timing, I suppose. All the timing. best deals seem to be done on the back of a napkin in yeah. motorsport, mm. I've noticed. Recurring yes, trend. But the napkins are much smarter nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> much smarter. The Paddock Club napkins. <laughs> yes, so they yeah, are. Slightly and different. I, and I tell you what's different. Eddie had a fair amount of money, sponsorship, that he had, so he could actually go out there and go shopping to find the driver that he needed yeah. to try and, you know, get that sort of elusive championship. Where it's the other way around now. Yeah. You know, they could come up to a, a young driver. I could go up to a young driver and sort of say, you are the best thing I have ever. Wow, you are better than Anton Senna. Lewis Hamilton, pff, you're way ahead. How much money you got? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's completely the other way around, it's funny. which I hate. It's, it, it is a shame, and it's, it, I've noticed it as well, but it, and it, it's not like it's slowing down. I, I had a period of time where I was in driver management, yep. but drop the F1 card here, and, uh, and I, used to, um, I used to look after Max Chilton, and um, yep. Max, great guy, and he won't mind me saying, but it, I think he paid in the region of 10 to 12 million quid. He will hate you now, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> to, to race for what was then as Marussia. Yeah, at but the back. At the back, but, yeah. then, but then you look at, you step up to like Marcus Ericsson, who was like 25 million, I heard, and then, you know, and it just keeps going. And God knows what some of the drivers now are paying. It's, um... Yeah, but, it's, but it hasn't changed because my first season in, in, the, in F1 after my accident was, was 89. There were 39 cars. They were pre-qualifying before, I think we got 30 on the grid as we went into qualifying in 26, actually qualified for the race. So again, there was a lot of drivers even back then 
paying for seats. Okay, yeah. not the same money as you're talking of now, but the budget I remember of Lotus in about 92 was probably 12 million. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So it's a, you know, it's a completely different world. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, 88, the year before that. And obviously yeah. your huge crash at Brands in, in Formula 3000. You, before that, you're obviously proving that you had the talent, you had the raw speed, you were going places, you had support. And then you had this huge accident, which I'm sure our listeners will all know about. Yeah. How, how did you... First of all, what do you remember from that, if much? And, and how do you get yourself mentally prepared to come back from a thing like that? Yeah, well, I'm, luckily I remember everything that happened in right. that sort of very quick, I don't know, five seconds that it probably lasted from the start to, to, to finish. But prior to that, I'd obviously had a test in uh, 1987 when I was doing Formula 3 for Benetton, uh, Brands Hatch, and it went very, very well. Thierry Boutsen sort of set a time and then I went faster than Thierry. So then that was when the relationship with Peter Collins, Benetton came into play. Um, and then the week before the crash, um, I was testing for Lotus in Monza. Uh, Nelson Piquet was the other driver. And I went faster than Nelson. So Peter Wall was very interested. Then as I was leaving the circuit, the PA to Enzo Ferrari came up to me and said, Enzo wants to, wants to meet you. So this is as I'm leaving to go back to go to Brands Hatch. And then when I get to Brands Hatch, do the qualifying, get on pole position. The first part of the race, I lead by about 12 seconds, I think it was. Of course, it gets stopped by Gregor Wojtek crashing into Roberto Moreno. Um, but just before the race, Frank Williams, I met in the, in the pit lane and he wanted to meet me after the race. So, uh, so, I, have, so I have Lotus, uh, I have Benetton, uh, I have Ferrari, and then I've got Frank Williams. What more could you want? What more could I want? Then I got greedy. <laughs> 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 that I get greedy. And then, of course, you got the second part of the race. And I, it's one of these things I, go, I look back. You know, I'm always asked, what was one thing you'd sort of change in sort of your career? And the only thing I would change is I parked on pole position with the rear end sort of up because it's quite a dip yep. going into um, pole position. So I thought, well, if I, I don't know why I changed it. The first start was absolutely fine. So anyway, <laughs> so, so I parked it a little bit sort of up the hill thinking that when I got going, if I did get a bit of wheel spin, by the time it sort of slid down, it would be straight and you'd pull away. But of course, as the, I got a bit too much wheel spin, it slipped, it went all the way down into that dip. And then I wasn't able to get the drive where Martin Donnelly and Pierre-Luigi Martini got in front of me. And then I was banging wheels with uh, Gregor Wojtek, who had had an incident with in Vallelunga, uh, where I banged my head, actually knocked me off the circuit. I was just passing him for second place, I think it was. He drove into me and as, he, as I was steering away from him, we made the contact, so the car spun. But in Vallelunga, the hairpin, the actual barrier is about 20 or so metres from the apex of the corner itself. But it's like a hairpin. I mean, really, really tight. So I hit it sideways. My head hit the, uh, the armco. And as I'm talking to you now, I, I can't actually remember walking back. God. So I, now and again, it sort of comes yeah. to me. And I, and I do know I went into the medical centre and I had to go into the toilet to do a little sample. I can't remember that either. And then I can't remember actually anything else. Um, so anyway, so yes, so we had this sort of wheel banging with, with Gregor and of course we get onto the Grand Prix circuit. I thought I got a nice drive out of Surtees. Um, and of course it's always very, very narrow, looking mm. in my mirrors, checking what's going on. I could see, look as if Gregor got a nice run out of Surtees. So I thought, well, if I just go in the middle, you can't go right and you can't go left. But he tried to go left and he went on the grass just very, very slightly. But as he's sort of on the grass, he taps my, my left rear and then before I do, it's one of these things, you just sort of, it's so slow mm. when it all happens. But I, but I didn't have time to even go, oh, 
yeah, this is going to be big. It was like, oh, and bang, you're just straight into the wall. And unfortunately, where the, the Armco goes down towards Hawthorns, you've got the bridge that goes across. Yeah, yeah. And the Armco goes around sort of the, the bridge itself, and then it carries on down again. So where it's come out, and there was girders holding the barriers, I hit the girder. Which I think I bent it 90 degrees on what I, what I understand. So the impact was massive, about 160 impacts, something like that. Oof. Then it spins around across the other side, which I still remember. So I remember the first impact is a lot of sort of movement. I remember you saying forward. as well before about the, the silence as well is something you, you remember. That's probably after the, the first impact, yes. Because okay, yeah. as you're spinning across the track, that is, yes, eerie silent. Mm. And your eyes are closed, you don't know where it's going, you can feel the sort of the rotation of the car. Then there's another impact, head-on impact, head on the other side, and then it spun again, and it's always, as, as you said, very, very quiet. Then it stops, and then you sort of, your eyes are closed, you open your eyes up, and then all, all I could see was the forest on the inside of the track. Yeah. So I, and this was looking through the monocoque, so the whole monocoque has gone just sort of roughly where my knees are. The, so the first thing I see is the top of my knees. So the first, first thought I had well, from my knees down, gone. they're gone. Oh. Both. I think they're, they're gone. And the only recollection I have, I, I, I can remember Adrian Raynard coming up, uh, my, my uh, engineer as well. I can't remember that actually at this point. But I do remember a marshal coming to me, sort of going, you're okay, you're okay. And I said, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I remember him walking around the front of the car. And then I can just remember him sort of going, oh. oh. So I thought... It's maybe not good <laughs> on this occasion. Uh, then he comes back again. Then I'm just going, knock me out, knock me out, knock me out. I just don't want to. I yeah. just don't want to know yeah. what's what's going on. And then that's sort of the last thing I, I remember. But I remember the whole whole sequence sort of events. Sometimes they get a bit muddled up mm. in certain but orders, but generally, yeah. pretty clearly, I sort of remember what was We've going on. We've had a on, couple but... of drivers with some nasty incidents on this. We had uh, Martin Plowman, who, yeah. British GTs. He yeah. had a horrific accident early on in his career, and where he got impaled. On yeah. a part of the fence came off and it went through him. Right. And he went to hospital with the fence inside him. And it just horrific, you know, make yeah. your skin crawl kind of accident. But yours was, you know, you essentially shattered your, your ankles as far as yeah, I understand. Yeah, pretty much. Well, the left one was actually sort of hanging off. Oh. The left, left one was actually off. The other one looks like, like it looks like a monkey's foot. It's very flat, it's quite oh. wide. The heel oh. is sort of hanging around the sort of the seat. It's been oh. mushed around oh. the side. Johnny. But, and I haven't tried it yet, and I should do before I get too old. I reckon it'd be brilliant mono skin, water skin. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I think it would work perfectly. A new perfectly. career for you. Yes, maybe. Oh, you <laughs> have to see that happen. But what, what's incredible, though, so vivid and obviously such yeah. a catastrophic incident, coming back from that physically is one thing, with the recovery, hmm. almost, you'd think, near on impossible, but then mentally as well, yeah. that's, that's got to be a whole nother challenge to come back. And you made your F1 debut a year later. Uh, less, less than well, less a year. Less than a year was, later, uh, in 89. August, uh, yeah. August the crash. Okay, so yeah. less than a year. So, um, End of February, yeah. So that, when, you see, when you see that written down, that looks ridiculous. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and too, but it, <laughs> it was, it was, it was too mate. early, wasn't it? I mean, you, yeah, it was. You, you yeah. did it and then decided to take a break because... Well, I didn't decide to take well, a break. My, my <laughs> an enforced break. My bastard friend Flavio... Am I allowed to swear? I don't know. Yeah, yeah go for my it. My bastard friend Flavio Briatore. You, yes. you can swear even harder. He got me out, want. yeah. Bastard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah he, he rested me. But yeah, the comeback. It's one of those... I remember sitting in, in, in hospital originally in Sitcup and I got moved out into sort of a, a private private hospital and I remember I remember the first time I remember waking up in hospital it so it was only for about 30 seconds something like that I was on quite high on sort of um, 
on the drugs at the time. But uh, Michel Trollet had a crash on the Saturday at uh, Dingledale. I think it was Dingledale. And he basically went over the, had a massive curb on the, on the apex, but he went over the, the gravel and landed under the barrier. And it just smashed all his legs. So I vaguely remember waking up and, and trying to whistle across because he was actually on the other, the other side of intensive care, trying to whistle to him. And then as I'm doing that, I then realised my feet were up in the air, but they were shaped, they were wrapped up in bandages, but in a shape of feet. Yeah. So that was the first time I realised that they were still on. Still attached. What a relief. But the colour was probably the only thought I thought, uh, maybe that doesn't look quite so good. Then I remember sort of then uh, sort of uh, uh, fainting oh, after God. that. Not because of what I saw, just because I'd sort of gone back in with yeah, all, the, yeah. all the drugs I was under. Um, and then when I came out, um, and after a couple of weeks, it was then just seeing what was, what was happening. And then I was on morphine for, for a good few weeks. And then I remember getting to a point with the morphine that I had this wonderful dream it's a really amazing dream. It's not a dream when you're, you're asleep during the night, but it's a dream I could have 24 hours a day. So I, I, my eyes would be closed because I was really tired, lost a lot of blood, really, really tired. And then I'd, then I'd go, it was a waterfall, beautiful waterfall, and then it'd be me and my wife, as, as she was my girlfriend at the time, under this waterfall. Our clothes would sort of peel off, but they'd peel off and we'd turn into these monsters. <laughs> and then with the monsters... I was wondering where that was I, 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 I yeah. thought it was going to be a lewd dream for No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. I can't dream like that. I've never <laughs> had a dream like that. So anyway, so we started then eating each other and then oh, somehow God. we started multiplying. But the weird thing is, I opened my eyes and it would stop. And you know, normally when you have a dream, you know, you yeah. try and get back into a dream. You close your eyes, go to sleep, but you never get back to that yeah. same point. Well, I could literally close my eyes and I'd go back to exactly the same point that I'd left it before I'd opened my eyes and something like that. That's and then it so just went weird. on and on and on. And then it was just basically... A, Sounds like kind a, of fun. A fit, ugh, no? It's a bit odd. Well, eating, eating your, <laughs> eating your missus very, very is a, odd. a little bit strange. Yeah, yeah granted. So, so yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I got taken off that quite promptly <laughs> once they, well, they understood that one. And then it was just then really sort of seeing how the feet were because the left one was obviously the one they were worried about, of course, with infection. And luckily the infection came sort of only a couple of times over the next sort of mm. couple of years. And then it was just seeing the movement. My right one wasn't so bad as far as movement goes. It's only probably 80% from what it was normally. But the left one didn't move at all because mm. obviously it had been taken off and it's the, um, uh, I can't remember what bone it is now. It's the knuckle bone in your, in yeah. your ankle. Talus, talus. And it had basically been not broken, but just basically snapped in, yeah. in the middle of it. So when they put it back together again, the blood doesn't really circulate very well. So sometimes there is a point that maybe that's where you're, you either lose it, which was the first, uh, first thing that they were talking about, wasn't aware of it. Uh, and then you either you screw it back together again. And they got the guy who did Barry Sheen's uh, legs when he broke his legs, came along, I think Professor Sig Watkins, the F1 doctor came uh, with him and they tried to, he wanted to put screws in, but the doctor who was actually doing it doing the operation said, well, you, you, you can't do that because the way that the bone, I don't know what they call it, the way the bone had gone on, on both feet, but especially the left one, it's like plasticine, like putty. So it's all very soft. So if you try to put a screw in it, not you can't. Work, it's, yeah. not, it's not going to work. So literally it was like they patted it to look like a shape of a, of a foot. And then, oh. then that was sort of the end of it. And then you let the bone sort of fix itself. But, but I do remember the first probably half a millimetre of movement that I had, because Peter Collins uh, from Benetton was phoning me up sort of nearly every day, seeing, seeing how I was. And I just remember the first 
say half a millimeter. And it was like, it's moving, yeah. it's moving, it's moving. So this was a positive thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. all that stuff that really, Keeping really comes into play. Each step. But my dream hadn't ended. <laughs> I still had an option. The option wasn't ripped up and thrown away. Well, that's why I wanted to yeah. That whole time, are you thinking, right, whatever's going on there, but I've still got to get back to F1. I like, that's, that's what I'm doing. That yeah. is the goal. Was, sure. Did that ever wane or was it No, because I had Peter phoning up. Yeah. And just positive... having Peter phone up, I still had this positive thing of, of him sort of never saying, you know, sadly, we're not going to be able to take you. There was never, ever any of that chat. And the, the chat, the only time I, I was aware of what direction I was going to go in, I think they were racing in Hereth, I think it was that, that, that year in 88. And I got a phone call saying they're going to take up the option. So that, again, was mentally, another, yeah. it was another boost. Keeps you going. Keeps you going, knowing right now I've got a drive. Mm -hmm. But... I'm still in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got a long, long way to go. So it's not a given. But then that's where I went to Tony Mattis in Austria and I sort of spent sort of a good few months out there trying to get myself back into, back into fitness, which was easy in many respects because doing sit-ups and, and press-ups and weights and all that stuff is easy. To actually do the, the cardio side was much, much harder because I didn't walk, I think, for the first time until about the 10th of December something like that. So it was only sort of just two months, a little bit less before the first race. But I had the drive. And I had one day a month where I felt, I've had a, I can't do this anymore. I've had, this is just way too much. Not physically, oh, mentally. Mentally. Yeah. mentally, it was just too much. Wake up the next morning, all fresh, bang. Back at and it. And you'd be able to do the next mm. month and it might come in a month and a half later and you'd sort of have that one day again. So, but I always had this light that was there always, you know, because I'd never, I hadn't made it. Yeah. You know, some people get there, Martin Donnelly, bless his heart, sort of got there, but had his, his big accident and then that was it, yeah, it yeah, for yeah. him. Yeah, but you I, still had your best days ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I, suppose, I suppose having all that interest as well from, from Williams, Ferrari. <coughs> that, that had gone. I never met, I never met Enzo. I never met Frank. I didn't see, I saw Peter War because mm. actually I drove for them after Martin had his crash. Mm. And that was the last year of Lotus, sort of uh, Team Lotus. But I suppose having had that interest, that's yep. another another positive beacon being like, okay, so, you know, I was good. I can still get that back. And, and actually, I thought it was a nice segue, actually, for pointing at some of the bits you've brought with us on the table and this 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 here yes um, which you'll be able to see if you're if you're watching this uh, on our app or on, on youtube now this is the uh, the last or the only it's bit the only bit remains left remains your in the world car, yes which exactly. is not a lot and that, where well, is this no. actually from yeah well, it, it's from sort of the side near the where the fueling right fueling okay. sort of thing was so yeah so that's the uh, they cut it off and i got given that by Adrian Reynold, I think, about six months, six or so months later. And uh, I don't know whether it's a nice thing to have lying around your house or not, reminding well, you of uh, the most traumatic experience. Well, all, all I will say, traumatic, it wasn't traumatic, because you have, if, if you haven't seen it, I think you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, I uh, watched so, it before yeah, we started yeah. filming. Wasn't yeah. it a good one? It was a, it was a pretty impressive <laughs> shunt. very impressive, yeah. yeah. I think there were 26 cars on the ground. I think there were only six left yeah, yeah. at yeah. the end of the restart. Yeah, The commentator says something like, all the cars after the third car have basically crashed. <laughs> yes, pretty much so. Yeah, so that's the only bit yeah. that I've still got, a like, little doorstop yes. that I've got. So, yeah. But it's, it's nice because that's, you know, that was a big part of my life. Absolutely. You know, it changed a lot of, you know, what I sort of did very naturally before into sort of something I had to work at mm. much, much more, which is probably not the perfect way. 
Um, I'm going to skip forward past a couple of years in the, in the interest of time, but I do want to touch we're on... we're not interested. Let's wrap it up quickly. There's not much, in, there's not much in the middle. <laughs> you took a victory at the British Grand Prix yeah. in, in a Formula One car. T- take us back to that time and the emotions you felt when you crossed the line at your home Grand Prix and, and that incredible feeling when you, you saw the chequer flag. Yeah, well, well, the first bit, obviously, it starts with, with Damon and Michael, sort of, and Damon driving into, into Michael. Thank you again, Damon. <laughs> um, and then me not realising until I think I got to Hangar Straight, right at the end of Hangar Straight. And then I was sort of thinking, oh, well, I was third. Hello. <laughs> There's a bit more waving going on while I'm going there. So I hadn't even realised that I'd taken the, the lead of the race. And then it was then trying to just... Stay consistent. So all I wanted to do it wasn't push any harder. It was just stay consistent. I remember DC having a penalty. Ross Braun coming on the radio and said, "You're not racing DC. Don't worry about him. He's going to have his stop and go." So that made my life a lot easier. Jean Alessi was about twenty odd seconds down on me, and from that point of view, and then there was always one issue that I had getting towards the end of the race, and it always happened for whatever reason. About ten laps to go, is. After my accident, my big toe on my right foot got sort of partly severed off. And then when I put it back on again, there's a lot of callus at the bottom of the toe. And it got super, super sensitive. I mean, super sensitive. And I was literally screaming in the car for those last 10 laps. But I had to then try and adapt my my driving to overcome that because I couldn't have gone on for those 10 laps permanently sort of screaming in in the pain that I was in. So I had to do left left foot braking which wasn't very good because the left ankle doesn't really move hardly at all. Mm. So I was able to, I could never do it in qualifying, but I could do it in a race where I could do about the same pace for one lap. Then I'd do two laps with the right, one lap with the left, two with the right. And that got me through wow. uh, the rest of those, as I said, 10, 10 or so laps. But then it was just seeing the sea of flags and all the grandstands and on top of the banks. And that just gives you a real sort of, extra little uh, bit of concentration yeah. in many ways. Uh, and then you can sort of apply it in a, in a much easier way. But then when it came down to the last lap itself, it was just out of this world for me because, you know, all, after everything that I'd gone through, going through those sort of uh, club corner, I remember, it's always a great, great view there, the old club corner. Yep. And, and then sort of coming up to uh, the, uh, the start finishing line, seeing that checkered flag and again with the old grandstand on the left hand side, the team hanging over the wall and a lot of other teams actually hanging over the wall as well, you know, made it more special. But it wasn't the win that I was really thinking about. It was all that comeback, yeah. all that pain I'd gone through, all the sort of sacrifices I, I had to do at the same time when I went out to Austria, for example. It, then even after that, when I went to Japan to try and sort of, you know, get everything back, back into, a, into a normality, or as close as normality as I could. So that was my first thought, was all that, it was worthwhile after all that. And then I could actually enjoy the, the race win itself. And it was special with DC and Jean picking me up, which was really, really nice. Yeah, and just massively emotional, massively emotional, because Silverstone had been such an important part of my life, but Damon's life and Mark Blundell's life and, and Martin's life, you know, Nigel's life, you know, all of us as British yeah, drivers and yeah. even other people, you know, centers of the world and Mickers of the world, etc. because they've all raced mainly in the, in the UK. But Silverstone is always, you know, a very, very special one. Yeah. A quick interruption of the show to remind you to check out our season five podcast sponsors, Motus One, the event transportation company, 
Motus One is the industry leader in complex transportation management. From hospitality, talent, production crews, VIPs, and artist transportation, Motus One's team have you covered. They've also just launched their leading edge cloud based event transportation management system, Motus Ride. Now you can manage your entire event transport program digitally, making bookings, allocate rides, create approval processes, see reports, track costs, and loads more. Head over to motusone.com and hear how they can support your event transportation needs. You achieved multiple F1 race wins over yeah. your career. Was there a time where I'm interested to know what, how drivers see Formula One? Do they go in thinking, or especially, you know, maybe less so these days, but you know, in your era, um, are you thinking I'm going to be a world champion? Yeah. Or, or, That's all it was about. And did you maintain that belief when you got got after your accident? Yes, I. I, I, I I had to, because um, I think that just gave me the motivation that I did. As I said a little bit earlier on, it was harder after that, much, much harder. Everything I did before, I didn't even think what was going on. That's the, the, they're very rare beasts to see, and Lewis is that beast at the moment. Yeah. You ask him, where do you break? What do you look at? He has no clue, doesn't know what he's doing, because it's, it's this 180-degree information that just puts you on the right line, you yeah. break where you need to, you shift where you, where you need to, you pick out sort of the apexes and exits and everything else, but you don't think about it. But after that, I had to think about it. Mm. And then that's the natural ability gone. So it doesn't, definitely doesn't work as much, and that's why Lewis is as a successful uh, F1 driver as he is. So it's, it's interesting just seeing I've been on both sides where I had this pure, easy life in many respects of driving and it was it was simple and then afterwards it was that sort of hard graft to get yourself sort of in a in a position on the grid but then in a position in a race and it's, it fascinates me actually because i there's i had one in all my races i did in f1 i had one race that it all went back to that type of feelings that i had before my accident which was malaysia 99 mm -hmm. i don't know why i don't know how and it frustrates me. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I don't know day. why. But it's damn interesting how yeah. this how this thing how this thing works. Talking of, of the mind, is is it so? You've been an F1 driver. You've won them on. You've had Grand Prix wins. Um, is it hard for you to comprehend now? When I mean, I know you're still in the sport because you're obviously you know you're trackside there doing yeah. you know punditry and so on. But do you ever have to sort of pinch yourself and, and think, God, that was really me. I did those things because from an outsider's perspective, I guess. You know, we put people like you on a pedestal almost. You know, it's like the, the great F1 drivers of the past. Does it? Does that resonate with you? Does, does that sink in, or do you, do you sort of take it for granted that you know it was just something I did and I'm proud of it and and, and that's it? Yeah, I think I think I know I'm, I was lucky. Uh, I know I was a very fortunate guy that sort of had a talent but was able to apply it when I got a chance, and that's something I think is still still applies today. You've still got to have the raw talent to be able to get to a to F1. And then you probably have that little extra more to stay in it mm, yep. as well. So yeah, so I've you know I look back and I go yeah I know I was you know I was very lucky yeah, bit unfortunate with the accident but hey that's life I I, I mentally had the strength to, to get through it, and that is something that's very important. And you know, Le Mans Le Mans was massively important for me. Yeah. It was 1991, sort of at the beginning of my comeback, and it was really I thought to prove to the other the rest of the people in the paddock that I could do a 24-hour yeah. race without a problem. Because yeah. there was always a question mark. But actually, when I get to my probably my last race in Malaysia, there was always a question mark. Yeah. And I was damaged goods. You know, would I, Johnny Herbert, 
damaged like I was after the crash in 88 be, be in Formula One in this day and age? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I, I had issues, but I was very lucky I had Peter Collins. Yeah. That just wouldn't happen today because yeah, yeah. they're just after, you know, the perfect specimen of a, of a racing driver. So now, I was lucky. Before we move on to a very important segment of the podcast, which <sighs> will ease you into very shortly. <laughs> I, I'm just curious, out of your wit, you had three F1 wins, right? Yeah. At, uh, which was your favourite? Was it was it the British Grand Prix, say, as your home race? Yeah, it's going to be the first one, uh, just because of everything. As I said before, I'd, I'd gone through Silverstone as, you know, a massive history uh, in motorsport itself. But British drivers, you know, love the track. It's been through various configurations. Some have been good, some, some have been bad. We've got a good one at the moment, yeah. one on a good one at the same time. So I was lucky. I won Monza, you know, the history that Monza's got, and then Nürburgring yeah. in a very similar way. So I've been very lucky. But the first one, yeah, stands out. Right, well, listen, um, this is the important part, Johnny. I'm going to hand you over to my very lofty colleague who is going to introduce you to the Motormouth Quiz. Welcome, Johnny Herbert, to Motormouth, the hardest quiz in motorsport. I can tell you can't wait to do it. Yeah, look I can't in, wait. The look in your eyes. Um, we have had pretty much everybody who's ever taken part on... All right, that's getting annoying now for me. <laughs> I'm enjoying myself. Turn that down. Um, <laughs> first time we've had the music in a long while that I can actually hear. Oh it. yeah, you don't usually hear it. <laughs> no, do I don't usually so. hear it. Again, Zoom letting us down there. But anyway, everybody, just keep it going. I may not uh, hear the question. Are you struggling to concentrate? <laughs> yes. Turn it off. Keep going. Turn it off. Right. Anyway, we've it's got. Fading. We've got, oh, four, we've got four clips for you. I can bring it um, back. No, please do not. <laughs> we've got four clips for you. Go on. Uh, they're all about your career, or bits you've done, um, and it's basically a bit like in, uh, um, what's your question of sport? Say what you see, but say what you hear. Um, and there's three points up for so each one. Then there's a bonus question. There's a big, long leaderboard. At the moment, you can get a maximum of 14 points, if I'm feeling generous. That's not happening. Um, <laughs> And it is uh, the likes of Dilbag Gill and uh, actually Alexander Sims. So Formula E is really, well, uh, really striking. Two guys from the same one. team yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, so they, sure. they really do well. Um, but we're, if we're looking around the midfield mark, which is around P20, we're talking. Okay. That's the likes of 10, 10 and a half. And we're, <laughs> we're talking Crofty, DC level. <laughs> Natalie Pink and Rachel Brooks are the best so far from Sky. Oh, well, They're up there in fourth me. and fifth. Especially Rachel. Well, exactly. Yeah, she was, yeah. She was oh, good. Yes, yes. Um, and she can juggle. Um, yes, yeah, she, she brought juggle. juggling balls. Yeah. Did she? Do you not yeah. know she can juggle? Uh, well, I have seen it. I just didn't think she'd bring it out. Yeah. <laughs> she, had, she had it see. ready. She, she had prepped. it ready. <laughs> she prepped. <laughs> and, and if it helps, that's, it's a tool you can use. Anyway, right, let's hear. Are you ready for clip number one? No. Let's do it. Here it comes. I think I've fainted. I've died and got to heaven. Right, what's going on there, Johnny? Uh, I would imagine that's uh, sort of crowd surfing. I would imagine. Oh, 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 oh. no, it's not crowd surfing. <coughs> oh. Have another, have another no, listen. No, have another no. listen. Ready? Yeah. Here it comes again. I've got my heaven. I think I've fainted. I've died and got to heaven. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh it was always going to happen. <laughs> Don't give him clues. Not, not. Have you fallen off something or? Oh, is that? It's the ho the hoverboard thing. It's the hoverboard. Oh, I've yes. done so many falling off things, you see. <laughs> that was you falling off. That was here in uh, what, what year? Oh, now, what year? You can uh, get, is this a bonus? You can claw back a, a point. <laughs> you can claw back a point if you can get if you can oh, get the dear. year. You Come get on, a point. fifteen. Oh, so oh, close. Fourteen. 16. Oh, the wrong 16. way. Sixteen. Oh, damn it. Oh. 
Okay. I'm going to give you... I told you, I told you it wasn't going to go well. Go on then. Be generous. Give me a half. I'll give you two points. Is that two out of three? You want one and a half? I want a half. Two and a half? You want two and a half? Well, I'll push it. You're having two for that. That's it, two. What's Silverstone? It was Silverstone. It was Silverstone. Okay, right. Here is your second clip. Here we go. We're not retired. You're not going to retire. That's good. Champion. Good to have you. You ended up as a commentator because you're not true champion, mate. I know. Thank you very much. Oh, do you remember that? That was painful to watch. Do you recognise the voice? You made up with with the person in the end, but what's going on there? He disagrees with me. (laughs) (laughs) Who? A lot. Fernando, yes. the comeback kid. Yes, yes. yes. in uh, Bahrain. That was a bit of an awkward situation, wasn't it? No, not really, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. He made his point, yeah, which was, I won a world championship, you didn't. <laughs> so he got that right. But you did make up in the end, I see, as well. Um, I think yeah. you were interviewing him on, yeah, on, we on did the road. The, uh, on the, yeah. 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 Um, so for an right. extra point, can you tell me where and what year? Uh, as well as Bahrain, Correct. Uh, as I said. Year? Oh, dear, oh, dear. Same as the last one. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. 2016. He's got it. He's got it. He's got it. We're on a roll. We're on Three a roll. points in the bag. See you later, cool oh. tart, Pinkham. I know. I, well, know. I love both of you, you guys. <laughs> You've absolutely smashed Karun Chandok out of the park already. So, Not uh, difficult. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here is uh, your penultimate clip. Here we go. The first most important question I have to ask you, Johnny, is are you allowed to have a drink this close Ooh, to a race? Yes. Yeah, it's no problem. As long as I don't have a little drop, yeah. do any harm. It's good for, good for the blood. A little drop. Good yes. for the blood. What's uh, going on there? Bottles. <laughs> he had bottles of the stuff, I have to say. Yeah, a little, little, little cooking, uh, I think it was a Monaco 97, 97, 98. So six. I don't actually have the year. Because it was at Salba. So I think it's either six but, or okay, seven. That's okay. what I do remember. I'll give you a point for Definitely that. Definitely a lot later, yes. Are you sure it was Monaco and not somewhere a little... Really? Is this a trick uh, question? No, no. Is this it's a trick question? No, it's no, Monaco. It was uh, the harbour. Yeah. Bar. Uh, well, in it's the harbour. Well, so it's near. It's, it's, it's near not technically France. Monaco. What's another lovely place in the south of France? Nice, Cannes. Oh, there oh. we go. You're in Cannes. Were we? Yeah, well, sure? I mean, that's what... Hey, and, like, well, I'm for, sure it was Monica. I wouldn't have gotten a can. Who, 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 who else was with you in that uh, clip? Was there someone else? Well, who's asking you the question? I've forgotten. Sounds like Keith Minoid. <laughs> Floyd, Keith. <laughs> Keith Floyd. I didn't know that. Oh, God. Can you edit this? Uh, no, we don't have those capabilities uh, in the house. <laughs> well, we can if we want Keith to. Floyd, of course. Keith Floyd. Oh, oh, okay, so that was uh, the, the legendary, uh, sadly, now no longer with us, Johnny. I'm still convinced Floyd. that was in Monaco. <laughs> well, he said I'm in the build-up to the programme, and I watched a good 15-minute from, from, from from He may have come from... I'm going to give you two points <laughs> yeah, for that one. I think that's Because fair. you also have the Sauber background, so I'll give you that. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, uh, right. We'll put you out of your misery. We have a final clip for you and then a bonus question. You're not doing too badly. We're I looking know. solid from mi- midfield. There's a lot of help. Yeah. <laughs> you whispers. Okay, here's your final clip. Okay, here we go. I'm loving this, by the way. Here we okay. go. Like his aggressive driving style. And yes, he's making a few mistakes, you know, but he's only 23 years old. He's only in his second season. Felipe has done many, many races. I think over 100 Grand Prix. Yeah. Same with, uh, with Kimi. Um, so they have a lot more experience than... Than, than who? Who are you talking about? Mad Max. 
Oh no! You said it with such confidence. <laughs> well, he was I like, did. He's like, I've got this. Oh, oh, okay, this well, I, I see where you put that up because you said second year, 23 years old, but who else have you spoken about in that sentence? In Felipe Massa? Huh? Felipe Massa, you speed you're talking about there, but. It's a while ago. But you're not talking. No, so in that. No, yeah, oh, no I'm not talking about Felipe Massa. No, no, no. But, but he wasn't with. <laughs> not. He wasn't with. Uh, with I wasn't thinking, yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, the confidence you had as oh, well on that one. It's just, it's just sinking. It's sinking. <laughs> Making mistakes. There was, there, was, there, was, there was almost... Seb? No. <laughs> there was almost arrogance with the delivery of Seb. that answer, wasn't well, it? was. There? Yeah, there, oh, of course. He's, he's, actually, he's actually stood there, but without, without a head at the moment, if you look. <gasps> um, Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> <laughs> Applause. No, no, I like it. Was it, was it about Lewis? It, it was, was about Lewis. It was about Lewis. Well, there you go. Uh, to, I don't know what I'm talking I think about. You, you, to get maybe one point out of that, can you tell me uh, what year you were... <laughs> Good luck with that Where do you think this is going to go? Is it? Right. You can claw one point back. Oh. It was a good year for Lewis. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Take your pick. No, 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 no. 14, 15. Eight. 18. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Oh, that, wait. Far oh, se- that far back. Second year, Johnny. My Lord. Oh, I should have done the tw- yeah, 23 yeah. A bit of giveaway, isn't it? Yeah, You'll my, be glad to I hear. I was very good at maths. There, there's no more radio. That's no, we're, thank we're goodness. Done with radio. But probably a, a, a hard question. John, you've really done, you've, done, you've undone yourself there. Um, okay, bonus question for you. Come on. Claw it back with a point. And speaking of points, how many did you score in total in your Formula One career? Now, we're allowing you plus or minus 10. Is it 161? Three? <laughs> one, 161 six, or three? Is it 160? Well, 50. It's not in the 50s. No, 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 no. no. I'm getting confused. Have a 90. Oh. Nine. Oh, oh. Go with it. Just say. Is it 99? 98. 98. 98. Okay. I'm going to give you the point. 161 was races. Races, yeah. 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 Didn't listen um, to the question. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that will be your undoing. <laughs> you okay. can see. You can Let's see. Let's do the maths on that one. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> got to beat the sky lot. That's, that's the important piece. I'm afraid, Johnny, although yeah. you're not bottom of the pile, oh dear. you have scored a solid eight points, oh, but that dear. does make you the last of all these Sky Sports pundits, <laughs> but you're in around the likes of uh, rally champion Thierry Neuville. Oh, it's okay. Hey, which hey, isn't too shabby. Last round of uh, the I, said, I said 10 wasn't going to happen, so I'm, no. I'm, 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 I'm fortunately happy with that. You're there and there. Thank about you, guys. And you're, you're, not, you're not off the pace too much. <laughs> Karun, you're wasn't still... I? La- you're still My old. You're still, was a long way off. I mean, you're still lapped, Karun. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that quiz. I think that's my favourite one to date so far. Now, um, listen, Johnny, we've talked about your career. We're keen to get some of your thoughts and opinions. F1 has changed completely since your day. What's your take on it? Are Liberty Media doing a good job? Well, yes. I think, you know, their, their ideas is trying to make the entertainment part of it more important. Uh, that's something the teams obviously fight against, which I totally understand why, why they do that. Obviously, the rules for 22, I hope, will sort of enable that to sort of happen. Um, I'm, I'm always a little bit sceptical when they come up with the idea and everybody team-wise sort of accepts it. I think they must know something <laughs> if, if they've agreed with it so quickly. Yes. But yes, overall, I think they've, they've done a lot of positive things. You know, the paddock's a lot more open. The drivers do get a bit closer yeah. to the fans as well. And I think that is a very important part of it. Mm. So they have done well. They've done the Concord Agreement as well. Yes. Obviously yeah. for the future as well. That's what Chase Carey sort of uh, has done as well in difficult times. So uh, yeah, so I think they have done a 
personally a good job. You know, it's a different world, like you said, and uh, hopefully the, the future's bright. One thing I've, I've, I've really enjoyed seeing about Formula One from sort of the business side, I suppose, being, being someone who's a bit younger, looking at where their YouTube page was about five years ago and the content they were doing, how inactive, didn't do anything and how much that has changed. So they, I like to think they're with it now with, with, with sort of the digital age. I think that's one sign of how they've improved. Yes, and I think that is a, a, a thing that we, we didn't see with Bernie. Bernie mm. didn't, wasn't really he hated interested it, in that. He hated it. it, didn't understand it, I think, yeah. in, in many returns, in many ways. Um, I think the other thing that is really good as well is these youngsters that we've got yes, on board 100%. as well. And Lando comes out, I think, sort of pretty much on top because he works it brilliantly. Yeah. Is he engaging for the, for the young generation? Absolutely. Yeah. Is that an important part of the, the, the world of Formula One in the future? Absolutely. Mm. So I'm glad we've got him. I'm glad we've got George and all the other guys that are out there. Charles Leclerc, Max. We've got a nice bunch mm. of guys out there at the moment and they seem to be moving with... With the technology as well. Yeah, which is absolutely. Great. And, the, and the future of British motorsport yeah. looks pretty bright with the, with the guys that you've just yeah. mentioned there. One question I've got for you, which we actually asked of Mark Webber um, in the, the first episode of this new series, and I'm curious to get your take on it as well. I won't tell you his answer until, until after, but um, one of the things that a previous guest of ours, who was an IndyCar driver called Connor Daly, mm-hmm. um, mentioned was that um, Lewis broken all the records, fantastic, doing brilliantly well. Connor's view was that if you put most, well, half of the IndyCar grid in that Mercedes, they would be as quick as Lewis Hamilton. Do you agree or disagree? Absolutely disagree. Same answer as Mark. Yes, disagree. Yeah. I, think, I think Mark actually used some more choice words than that. But yes. Yeah, yeah. Why, why, why do I say that? Well, as, a, as I said, from a pure natural ability, it's the most natural driver I've ever seen. Obviously, I saw Ayrton when, he was, when, we, when we were casting together, when he was beating me back then. Then when we were in Formula One, when he was beating me back then. Uh, but Lewis is just way beyond that. His ability to get the best out of himself, even when he might need, you know, against Valtteri, sort of a couple of attempts in qualifying, 99% of the time he finds it. And that, I think, makes me, you know, sort of all in awe of what I, what yeah. I see on the track. So, yes, I think the difference is, for me is quite large. I yeah. think, you know, IndyCar is a very, very different thing and there's mm. a lot of drivers out there that didn't quite make it over here but do very well out there. Then you sort of have that little question mark, well, it didn't work here. Why is it working? Why is yeah. it working the other way around? But that's a bit unfair, a bit unfair. It, it's so difficult to compare, but yeah. and, and especially in Formula 1 as drivers, but you look at Valtteri Bottas, Lewis Hamilton's teammate. Do you, do you think he's actually a bit underrated and yeah, getting totally. getting within for sure t- less than two cents of Lewis Hamilton he beats him as well isn't and, yeah. Beating yeah. Him, and beats know, him I think, and yeah. I think Valtteri's had his, his fair share yeah. of bad luck this year as well sure he, he you know he is probably uh, I mean Nico Rosberg did get the better of him in the end but it doesn't seem like Valtteri has to play mind games in order to do that either um, that's why he hasn't beaten him you think yeah, yeah. that's one part of it yeah. one part of it yeah the other part of it which is why you know I said about Lewis being the best I've seen is it's the consistency. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing. Time. And that's the thing where, where the Valtteri's work massively hard on trying to get himself in the, in the right zone at every Grand Prix he goes to. And it's the best Valtteri Bottas I think we've ever seen. But Lewis just seems to always be able to find something extra. But yeah, he's underrated because... You know, if you do it at raw speed, yeah. but if you do it at raw speed, he's got... Like, he's got it. He's definitely got it. Do you think it. he'll ever win a championship? Again, he needs a little bit of luck as well um that consistency is obviously is going to be quite key but it's amazing what 
little bit of luck has at the right time, at the right place. And then mentally, it can really carry you a long way. So he can. And in many respects, I hope, I hope he's able to sort mm. of do a proper, proper challenge again next, next year. Well, who's, um, who's next in terms of... Uh, well, obviously, Lewis Hamilton well on his way to smashing all the records. Yep. Uh, just one more, a couple more to go, isn't it? World champions. Uh, and then he... Sick, if he gets a sixth one this year, he needs to get one more to equal Michael Schumacher. And then he'll go one more probably and, and probably. beat him if he, if he signs on, of course. Uh, unsigned sure contract as of recording. But who, who's next? Who's who out of the current Who's going to beat all those records? No, well, I've mentioned one of them already. Yeah. Is he Max? Yeah. Uh, for the wrong reason. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but Max, for sure. Uh, Charles, of course. Yeah, you know, they're, they're Those two definitely sort of stand out million miles. Um, I think we've got George and Lando. I think they will be in the mix at, at some point if they're given the right like anything it's like with George at the present time the, the, the right window has got to open at the right time for him to be able to get in get himself in a in competitive car yep. and sadly history has always shown that it doesn't always happen for, for certain drivers all the time so anyway so hopefully that, mm. will, that will be a good thing um, but we've got a good bunch as, as I said before it's great with Carlos Ferrari next year be interesting to see what he does another very very consistent man as well very smart mm. like, he's, like his dad and there'll be a, it'll be an interesting fight between him and, him and Charles um, <clears throat> and then of course with, with you know whatever happens with Max's teammate down the line you know I'm mm. a big fan of Alex Albon but unfortunately for whatever reason it hasn't quite clicked and the only explanation I can have sometimes a bit like Pierre, I suppose, when they had that chances. If they're not quite, it's, it's, it's quite weird how it works. If they can't mentally cope with all the extra pressure that a big team gives mm. you, what the media, you know, put on you when things don't go your way, that is where it sort of all starts to crumble. <coughs> and I think that's what we've seen with, with Alex, sadly. And I think we saw it a little bit with Pierre. Yeah. But I think Pierre's probably stronger now than he was yeah. going back to uh, Alpha Tauri winning that race that he, that he did in, in Monza, obviously. So, you know, that side of things is where you go back to Valtteri. Has adapted, has absorbed it. There has been some sort of horrible criticism in some ways, but you're always up against, you know... The Lewis the, Hamilton. The Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Or, or Alex is up against the yeah, Max Verstappen. Yeah. And they are the rare... Yeah. They're the rare ones. And can they be beaten? Yes, they can, but they can't be beaten enough to win a world championship. That's, that's where they always stand out. But that goes back to all the world champions mm. we've seen in the past. And I remember Mika, lovely, lovely guy, went to McLaren, totally changed his, his uh, mentality because the way Rom wanted him to work within the team, it worked. Yeah. It yeah. absolutely worked. Did Michael do the same thing as Mika did when he went to McLaren? No, he got the team around him. Mika was given the team yeah. by Rom. So they're completely the opposite way of doing things. But at the end of it, they came together and they were able to win the World Championships and the battles that they had together. So it's just how you take all the positives from a team and how you then apply them. And I suppose Sebastian is the other one yeah. who's sort of, he's, he's very sort of lost at the moment. Yeah. I think he's just sort of checked out yeah. and he's ready for this this move next yeah, year. It's a British team. That's a, a big thing for it's us. It's great. It'd be interesting to see how he does next year. Yeah. Um, whether that, you know, that he, like so. you say, he's, he's checked out. Let's hope he's still got that drive you next you year. Don't, you don't win four world championships. Absolutely. Absolutely not. No. Um, as I'm going to reluctantly move away from Formula One um, as, as we come towards the end, but I'm keen to get your thoughts on, on other championships. Formula E, you're obviously an F1 man. What's your, what's your take on Formula E and uh, Extreme E and these, these championships cropping up? Yeah, well, uh, I like it. You know, it's a new technology. It has a place in, uh, in, the, in the motorsport world. Uh, will it ever overtake 
Formula One, not as I see it at the present time. But I like the entertainment factor of it. I think, you know, there's a lot of sort of comings together with, with, with drivers and walls uh, during the race. And I find it quite entertaining, to be perfectly honest. The squeal of the motor is quite annoying. <laughs> I have to say, and the squeal's got worse, hasn't it? Over so high pitch now. It's, it's like, we oh, mustn't slag it off enough. too much because no, our, no, no, our, our, like our, our illustrious colleague here yeah. is, is. Are we allowed to talk about this? Uh, I think you are. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, he's, he's one of the. He's down to the last 15. I'm going to blow your trumpet for you. Down to the last 15 to present Formula E in oh, Santiago right. as part yeah. of a, a big search campaign nationwide, well, globally perhaps, globally. Um, to find a, a presenter. So um, fingers oh, right, crossed, cool. Harry, cool, Harry cool, makes cool. some in. Yeah. So I but love I... Formula E. Uh, <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Beautifully produced. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. No, I like it personally. Yeah, yeah. It has its place yeah. and it works. It works at the moment. Yeah. Um, hidden talent, Johnny. We know you're a good F1 driver. What else are you good at that people don't know about? Uh, quizzes, uh, not so much. <laughs> I have to say, I never can vouch have for been. That. I bet you're yes, I know. Exactly. Uh, yes. Zoom, I, Zoom but quizzes. I, but I like proving that point. <laughs> Which you did exceptionally well. Thank you very much. So, so that's a win. Yeah, <laughs> that's a win for me. Uh, I don't know golf. Uh, not really. That's something I do struggle with. I blame. I have an excuse for that. I blame the feet because obviously they don't allow <laughs> that's me. That's true. To, especially yeah. on the on the putting surface. Right. Because uh, I do seem to do extra kilometres. <laughs> Walking past the hole, back and past it. It's like what is wrong with it? Anyway, so golf. Yeah. What else do I do? What else do I do well at? Uh, cycling, I suppose I'm not too bad with that. I wouldn't say I'm a Tour de France man, but I, I'm pretty okay in that. I'm a yeah. good fixer. Oh. I think I'm a good, uh, a I'm handy good man. super glue dad. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I'm very good at sort of for, for good fixing reasons. things yeah. for good reasons, <laughs> indeed. Uh, yeah, so I'm quite good okay. at that. Yeah. So. And then flip that on its head. Well, golf might be on that then. What you crap at? Uh, quizzes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I can match that. Then, okay. Yeah, it's good. What am I bad at? Yes, exactly. Well, golf. So yeah. golf. <laughs> <laughs> that one as well. Uh, I don't. I suppose the only my memory's not very good at. Yeah, remembering. Yeah, <laughs> that's what memory normally does. That's exactly. <laughs> Luckily, I used to drive around in circles yeah. and always meet back at the <laughs> place I started. So it yeah, you couldn't turn out. off anywhere. No, I couldn't. No. I'll ah, just follow. Well, them. now and again, yeah. now and again, you try to. Yeah, <laughs> yes. as I tried at Brands. Yes, yes. end up <laughs> with a couple of dodgy angles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, did you have a an idol growing up, whether it be racing or otherwise? Yeah, well, I, I suppose Muhammad Ali, obviously, because I remember watching him uh, with my parents when he was, was fighting. I remember the Rumble in the Jungle, yep. for example, so I do remember watching that. Um, and then from a racing point of view, it was uh, Gilles Villeneuve. Right. And it was really, I sort of tried to base my, my racing on Gilles because Gilles would drive a car with four wheels on, two wheels on it, no wheels on it, upside down, backwards, whatever. And that was, that was just what Gilles was special at. You know, he had a very, very special skill. You know, we always saw him sort of sliding the car around. The Zandvoort one where he had the puncture and he drive, tries to drive around back to the pits, but he doesn't slow down. So the tyre sort, of, uh, sort of rips itself off it. But I think he was just an amazing, amazing yeah. driver. So Gilles was always the one that stood out for me. Nicky, yes, of course, obviously, yeah. with what he went through after his, after his accident. But yeah, Gilles the one I, I remember. Um, what would you say to um, either yourself at, say, 15 years old, or what would you say to any young up-and-coming racers who are perhaps 14, 15-year-old now transitioning maybe from carts into cars for the first time? What, what would you say to them to make sure that they, they have some good standing to go forward in the sport? Yeah, well, I think the, the biggest thing is life's difficult, uh, as it is just day-to-day. 
motorsport can be very, very tough uh, as well. It doesn't always go to plan. You know, it doesn't matter how much talent you've got. Um, so for me, with everything I've been through, especially through my accident, is, is never give up. Never, ever think, I can't do this. Because sometimes things sort of come your way, that luck we were talking about. If it comes into play in your life, you, it's a very powerful thing to move forward. So, so never give up. As far as uh, myself as a 15-year-old, I have nothing to say to him. You're, you're brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing, lad. Doing maybe you're maybe doing. do a few more quizzes. A 15, a 15, no, go to school. <laughs> maybe, if that's what it was. Just general education. <laughs> yes, I knew my setups and my sprockets I was using. Oh, was maths. Oh, I'm with, with you that. on that one. Struggle we're really bad at that. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Harry exactly. are appalling English, maths. economics, <laughs> woodwork, <laughs> metalwork. <laughs> PE. Actually, I was oh, so... I mean, oh, PE, PE, I was all right. Oh, that was, again, another sporty thing. I was all right at running, long distance running. I was so bad. We had the design and technology at school, which is basically sort of modern, you know, woodwork, modern day woodwork. <laughs> um, but I was so bad at it. I also found it, I hated it. So at one point we had to make something and I began making it, stuck a few things on it and just threw it in the bin and it just acted like I'd lost it and someone had stolen it and spent the whole term looking for it. <laughs> Yeah. Never had to do it then. The teacher did it for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I, did it for you. That's how you yeah. do it. Get the teacher to do it yeah, for you. It's one of those things. I had something else in my life. I had carting in my life. So that, yeah, exactly. was, the, that was all I focus. lived and breathed. I was, yeah, that was it. I didn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't fit <laughs> in. No. 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 Oh, and no. it shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Lockdown's not been Love pleasant. It. Um, <laughs> look, Johnny, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, yeah. even um, with that last comment. You want to ask me back? And we're going to cut it early there. We've got the final three questions that we asked to, to all our guests, all the same questions. You said there was no more. <laughs> final three. Final three. This is See, your, I said this you're is, nasty. <laughs> this is your penance, okay? Right, okay. Um, Tim, do you want to kick off with the I'd first love one? to, yes. yes. Good. Johnny, what's got you excited at the moment? What's got me excited? I tell you what, being able to get out of the house and go to a motorsport event. But yeah. I'm happy that we're we're on the road. Yeah, mm. fantastic. Um, if not doing what you're doing, racing driver turn pundit, what would you be doing? Potentially, it's a bit off, not happening at the moment, but my, my daughter's always loved horses, mm -hmm. which I detest. I think I hate them. Like a car, you have a crash, you fix it, you go out again. They always seem to be going wrong. And there's a circle of things, you sort of ride it, it goes lame, the vet comes in, then the bill comes in, then you mm -hmm. wait a little bit, and then it all just starts all over again. So probably mucking out mm, right. would probably be something I'd be doing. Yeah, okay. very, very good. I forgot about that. So, yeah, well, that's, that's a, very, a hidden talent. Very good at yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. me and a uh, wheelbarrow. <laughs> I, I'm with you on the horse thing. I, I, my wife is a brilliant, brilliant horse rider, and she, she frankly pushes me into horse riding, and I do uh, it every now and again, and it's just terrifying. I, it's so high, and they go so bloody fast, and... and you have no control. I, I can't turn left you, or you've right. You've ridden, yeah? You've done, okay. Yeah. I, I've galloped, that. I've yeah. cantered. You know, I haven't gone that far. I've no. done all that stuff, but, I, but it's all, I, I'm winging it. I don't know what's, what I'm okay. doing. Okay, what's the biggest fence you've uh, jumped? I've, I've, I've jumped a grain of sand. <laughs> I, I haven't jumped any fences. I think, I, I think I've beaten you then. I've, I've jumped a pole on the floor. You've got a talent. <laughs> There's your talent. <laughs> Another awful, hidden you're talent. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Awful things. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah, no, they're, they're awful. Very, powerful. I mean, very, very impressive. Very impressive. Uh, you know, yeah. I jest, but they are yes. terrifying when you're on top of them, yeah. um, so to speak. Um, <laughs> final question for you, Johnny, <laughs> before we let you uh, get on with your day. Um, 
And, and this is one we, we ask everybody, as Harry says. It comes with all sorts of interesting answers. You can answer in any fashion you like. Um, Crofty, one of your uh, esteemed colleagues, he gave us a very weird answer on this one. The question is, what are you scared of? His answer was tea bags. God knows where that comes from. What are you scared of, Johnny? Mm, what am I scared of? Very true. <sighs> yeah, I think there are occasions. Yeah, uh, the wife. <laughs> She'll be delighted yes. to hear Yes, that. exactly. And yes. the worst thing about it is when she does get angry with me, quite often, mm -hmm. quite often, I can't run away. No, <laughs> she no always escape. gets me. Always gets when me. you're locked down, you can't go anywhere. No, exactly. No, 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 no. Yeah, so it's probably, yeah, it's probably the Rebecca. Yep, Sorry, my love. I love you. Oh. <laughs> Marry me again. <laughs> Please. Such a sweetheart. Johnny Herbert, thank you so much. Oh. That was the final question. So thank you so much for joining us on the Pleasure. Motor Mouth Podcast. Thank you as well to Silverstone Experience for hosting us. Yes, what an amazing yes, thank venue. You. Well done. Uh, and for bringing in all your helmet. Uh, where's, the, where's the steering wheel from? Uh, Jaguar. Ooh. That's what I was going to show you about all the buttons on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's oh, there's about that. six. <laughs> <laughs> that's all they've got back in those days. Start, stop. Yes. Start yes. and stop, yeah. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And that's the helmet from Nervobrin. Amazing. Cool. Well, thank you so much for bringing all that in and for your time. Johnny Herbert, it's been an absolute pleasure and hopefully uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah, definitely so. Thanks, Johnny. It's been great. Good fun. Before you hop off, one final reminder to check out the guys and girls at Motors One, your new transportation solution for minor, mega and signature events anywhere in the world. Motors One simplifies the complex process of event transportation and provides clients with unrivaled service and support to ensure your event's transportation needs are fulfilled. Check them out today at motorsone.com and if you tell them you found them through the Motormouth podcast, you'll get up to 20% off your first booking. Now, doesn't that sound good? Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review and until next time, you'll be listening to the Motormouth podcast.